This episode of Dad is Not a Noun. I want to thank today's sponsor, the Real Dads Network, 11th Annual Real Dads Network Daddy Daughter Dance. When we empower fathers, we strengthen the family. And no better way to represent this than through a daddy daughter dance where traditions are carried on and new traditions begin. Get your tickets fast before it sells out for this amazing Girl Dad Gala, the 11th annual Daddy Daughter Dance, February 18th, 2023 in Harlem, New York. Go to the website, www.daddydaughterdance11.eventbrite.com. Give you every advantage I found Couldn't find a better fit for them Along with my crown And since the baton was passed Hopping down Cause failing's not an option And dad is not a noun Not at all French fries Firm ice cream Macaroni and cheese cream. He went from one slant kitchen Around the world my name is Ashbel McLean. I know that there's a ghost in America's kitchen because he visited me. James Hemmings. People don't know who James Hemmings is because he was a slave and he did not fit the mold. Every Southern chef, every single one of them has a granddaddy, James Hemmings. James Hemmings was Thomas Jefferson's brother-in-law but also his enslaved property. With the training that basically no American chef had at the time. I think he was murdered. We get honest about this complicated history. All of a sudden, this American narrative makes more sense. James Hemmings is America's culinary founding block. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Dad Is Not A Now. My name is Ishmael, changing the narrative for men of color and fatherhood, but as well as changing the narrative on the things I care about. And what I care about today is this wonderful project that I saw on Amazon, made this amazing documentary, Ghost in the Kitchen, the James Hemming story, and I have one of his culinary descendants. I like that. He like that. I he like is, that. <laughs> he is a he is a master international uh master chef, a culinary history um just nerd. I'm gonna call him a history nerd because you know nerd, nerd is awesome. Um thank you. Just a man of many talents, and I'm truly an honor to have him on. Chef Ash Bell, how you doing, sir? How's your heart? I am doing. My heart is what, and uh, you know, at my age, you you get to reflect on how many times your heart has been, uh, been in exhilaration and in love, and has been totally shattered. And uh, and you count, I count all of those times as blessings because I learned so much each time. Even when my heart was broken, if a project didn't work or if I was uh, temporarily without funds, because I was never without wealth. And I understood that because my mother taught me at a very early age 
my wealth. And so I never looked at money or things as a, 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 a symbol of my wealth. I always knew that my wealth was inside me. And um, that's, uh, that's something that I am so proud of um, being taught by my mother. So that, you know, in her capacity to love, even when uh, she was in the most untenable situations, because I grew up in um, segregated um, South Carolina, the last vestiges of chattel slavery. And, and it was real. It was real. And, um, and making this film with director Anthony Wareham was a blessing because he has a very similar uh, spiritual base. And we were, we were able to look at this information and have empathy. Not sympathy, but have empathy with the humans that had to go through this. And, and I think uh, Anthony and I um, definitely bonded over this project. I mean, he is, he is definitely, Anthony Rowan is definitely a mother, a brother from another mother. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and there were some people saying, oh, but he's white, he's directly he's white, he's a black child. I'm saying, get out of here. Stop with the nonsense. He's an American who understands that this story has to be told. And I'm working with everybody, purple, green, orange, yellow, rainbow, every color, because this is a story that has to be told. It cannot be erased. And so. I totally agree with you 100%. And what I yeah. love about that film is that it's so vulnerable in different elements. I love how you connect yeah. your story with your mother and your uncle yeah. to the story of um, James Hemming. So how did, did that come to be? How did that, you know, doing that research? Because I know what you did, what I think what happened in the in the in the film is that you had a spiritual connection. Oh uh, well, well growing up in the South, um and younger generation like you probably wouldn't know about this, but <laughs> you, you grow up with a healthy sense of of the spirits. And for me it was a hat. And a hat is a a not very happy ghost. <laughs> And um, and so <laughs> I, I I believed in hand. So when I had a visitation in the middle of the night, I was just like just shot up, sat in the middle of the bed and awake, like oh what what what? <laughs> and all I could hear was, "You of all people, how could you forget about me?" Mm. And it took me a month to make the connections, okay? Because they kept going, well, what was that about? What was that? Was that a dream? Or what was that about? And I, you know, and, it, and there was, you know, well past the age of being a kid, said, oh, if you don't behave, the hands are going to come after you. And the <laughs> hands will ride you all night. And that was what I, I grew up with. So that, you know, when the scary movies came out with, uh, you know, the turning of the head and the devil's going. It's like, it was all real to me because I grew up with that. Right. And um, 
and it was really a safety mechanism kind of born in um, low country South Carolina, the idea of a hand, was that rebellion from the enslaved community and said, you know what, we got a lot to say. And the hand's going to tell your ass off. Okay? <laughs> and right. um, so I I understood that. And, um, and I have always been open to um, uh, uh, people would say, used to say, oh, no, he's the touch. But for me, it was just having an open spirit. And when I got to Monticello, the same thing happened. I was sitting in front of that kitchen. Nobody was around. I was sitting in front of the 1790s kitchen that James Hemings had installed at Monticello. And I was raging. I was so angry because I'd just seen a YouTube video of a white chef cooking uh, one of his dishes, snow eggs, in that kitchen. And I was raging. I was like, how did she get in there? Who did it? Who, who approved her being there? She had nothing to do with that kitchen. Her family had nothing to do with the kitchen. What are they there for? Why was she there? And I was angry. I was so angry. And sitting there on my own, just thinking about how how could that have happened? And uh, you know, and blame, 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 blame. They should have been more diligent. And what did the the, the uh, Monticello Foundation? What did they do? What are they thinking to let that happen? And it was just that whole blame game of stupidity. Right. And. Uh, and I got a wave of a wave coming at me. <laughs> it was a wave, and they weren't happy, okay? And they let me know that the spirits of the people that cooked there let me know that we are proud of what we did in this kitchen. And we did it to the best of our ability in spite of our circumstances. This is not about you and your crap. <laughs> they put it in another way, okay? <laughs> and, your, and your grandparents have said it to you, okay? So that was what they let me know really, really forcefully. And I got it right away. I got it right away and said, you know, this is about our stories. You just get our stories right. And and you'll be okay. And uh, it is I, I totally understood it because the um, the elder cooks in my family would look at you when you're about 10, 11 years old, and they'd say, right in your face, um, the, didn't somebody have you about 10, 11, 12 years ago? And you'd say, oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, what are you doing for? <laughs> and looking you in the eye at that age and say, well, who are you? What are you good for? Wow. And it, it was just a shock because what they meant was, this is a cooking family. You better cook something so that we know who you are. Because if you don't cook something so that we know who you are, you ain't in this family. And uh, it, was, it was a wake-up call to how the human being began to be formed 
and uh, and I'm I'm so grateful for that because I was able to travel with what I learned there. I was able to to go to other countries to languages I never even heard of and be invited into their kitchens and and their the center of their homes and their whole um, traditions. And I I credit that to you know, that upbringing in South Carolina. Um, and a, a lot of um, Black men are vulnerable. And um, and they think it's a sign of weakness. And, I, you know, I am a, I'm a person that, that feels deeply, and I can cry at the drop of a hat, okay? <laughs> and, and people are like, what are you crying for? It's like, it's a, it's a joyous thing. It's nothing is not always something sad. Right. And, um, and then, you know, one person said, wow, I never expected you to, to feel vulnerable. I said, I'm vulnerable every, all the time. And, you know, and I'm blessed to be able to feel that so deeply and to share that in the form of my tears, um, yeah. you know, because, you know, you never know what's going to really set you off. I never do. And, um, and when I feel something so deeply, I, you know, that's, uh, that's a response for me that I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of. And, and you know, and and more just men in general, and people really um, need to be more in touch with their their emotional side and their their um, uh, their feelings. But every tear is not a weakness. It is definitely not a weakness. It is a confirmation that you have heart. That's what it is. It's a real literal confirmation of the health of your heart. Okay, and I'm, I'm glad you started out asking that question because it's such a key thing. Um, I am, I'm so grateful and surprised that your generation has taken to this film like ducks to water, okay? <laughs> I'm in London now. <laughs> I'm in London now. I was so surprised. I was, I was at a tasting um, dinner by Chef uh, Victor uh, Omoroyu. I, I know I pronounced mispronounced the name, the last name. He's Nigerian and British chef, and he okay. was a finalist on Master Chef Britain. And he did a pop up for the IO Collective, an eleven course tasting menu with an incredible Somalia who was a young Indian British woman. And it was absolutely incredible, incredible taste, incredible fusions. And, and he cited that in Europe, James Hemmings and his story represents column culinary excellence in Europe. There was no chattel slavery in Europe. So they don't have that baggage that African-Americans have of chattel slavery. Right. Um, for them, it was just like, what? Wait a minute. You mean over 235 years ago, 
There was a black man created a fusion cooking in Europe, in the heart of Europe, and it was received as the most excellent standard, the highest standard of quality. And for them, that's a lifeline. And I get it. I absolutely get it. And, and you know, it, it's, it's different from for young African-American chefs um, because of that whole institution of chattel slavery. But the racism remains the same. The racism is universal. And that's what we forget lots of times with, with these kinds of situations and, you know, the, the whole... African diaspora, okay, and particularly an enslaved diaspora uh, or, or descendants of, of, of that enslavement. And it's all over Europe. Like, you know, I spent um, 10 years living in Paris. Uh, and literally the same problems exist in New York City, in St. Louis. Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia, and in Paris, and Berlin, and London, and Bristol, and Birmingham, those same problems of racism exist. And, um, and I'm grateful that they found um, a solace, really a professional solace in the story, in that they can point to their excellence spanning back over 230 years. That's that's a blessing. And I, I just didn't, um, I hadn't uh, from that, and I hadn't really thought about that generation at all. I hadn't. I was just thinking about generally just getting it out. And um, and then, you know, the silver lining is, you know, Gen Z is just like, no, this is a validation. Is a validation of us. We're tired of 12 years of slave. What did we do that was excellent during that time? And James Henry's story is that. So... I'm um, I'm I'm definitely grateful that it, it's had that unintended but definite positive effect. When I when I literally heard your first, I was I, that was a moment of tears for me. Wow! Because I just said he got it, he got it, he totally got it. He understood what I was trying to say. And I was just so, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be on with him. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be on with him. <laughs> and one thing that I wanted to mention to you is, um, uh, uh, you know, I, that is not a noun, is a, is a, perfect, uh, a perfect name for your and uh, uh Godfather is not a noun. And I am literally godfather to 15 wow. uh, Jews uh, 
and uh, and black children that are not my own children. I am God. Don't tell them that because they they literally um they they literally remind me and I'm grateful for that. So I just wanted to to let you know that Godfather is not a noun either. Okay, that, it's an that's actual right. living thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. So and and, 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 and I'm officially is. I'm officially adopting you as one of my oh, godsons. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so, honor. So, I, so thank you for the that. honor is mine. The, the honor is mine. <laughs> I, I'm coming over. I, I'm coming over. I'm coming over for dinner. <laughs> well, but, that would be. That would be. Yeah that that would be awesome. Um, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't. I, I can't I would wait. Love that. We, Definitely. Yeah. So uh, and let's, and let's go. I'm getting all blushy now. Now I got another. I got another Godfather. So I'm. I'm just like. Yeah. I'm on cloud now. Good. Not even you're, Christmas yet. So you're this, blessed. This you're is a good Christmas. Blessed. I am brother, blessed. blessed. <laughs> mm -hmm. So going going back to the going back to the, the to documentary. Um, what mm -hmm. I love about the documentary was. Again, you connected the dots, and before you had that spiritual um, conversation with um, the ancestors, did you know the history of James Hemming already? No, I didn't. I had um, cooked a dinner at the James Beard House in in um, New York City, and it was a tribute to Thomas Jefferson and the Africans in quotes that cooked in his kitchen. And that's, mm. you know, what spurred the spirits of James Henney's to say, wait, hey, how could you forget about me? And I had some vague note. Jefferson's son went with him to Paris. Some some vague notion of that, which was not true, um, because mm. Jefferson's brother never had any children, as I later found out. And... Um, and then I discovered that it was James Hemings who had gone to Paris with Jefferson for the express purpose of learning to be a French chef. And uh, as I researched more, because I, I consider myself a bit of a, a nosy chef rather than a culinary historian. I'm just nosy. So I just dig, 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 and I ask really pointed questions. So. The historians look at me sometimes and go, what? Where'd you get that from? I said, I got that from being a black man. And when I look at some of the stuff and read it, it's like sitting in the black barbershop on the Saturday morning. That's how I received it <laughs> from the, the, the writings that, that are attributed to enslaved people. It's just like, oh, no, that's what I hear. I don't hear, I don't hear your... Um, your basically white um, um, a college educated story. I am empathizing with the people that were there, the people that were in the situation. That's what I, I have a feeling for. So to me, that was the connection. Um, when I, you know, read some um, 
um, uh, um, or an article that uh, Jefferson's grandson had uh, had done in um, I think, uh, and it was. And it was discredited because, oh, there was a white journalist and, and he changed all the words. But if you read it, it you were sitting in a, on a Saturday morning and, and you knew this was clear. That was not the voice of a journalist. That was the voice of a black man in a barber shop on a Saturday morning telling his story. That's right. And I got it. And I understood it from that point of view. And that fueled me to really look at the evidence of James Hemings um, in Paris. Um, and, and part of the reason was that I went to Paris when I was 19 years old, too, as a student. And ended up uh, spending uh, 10 years there and going to uh, the Sorbonne and uh, just, you know, just had that whole immersive French experience, you know, because I eventually did marry a, a black woman um, from, uh, well, she was French, born in France from Guadeloupe. Okay. And I still have a huge um, family there. And um, so, I'm, you know, I'm able to keep kind of rooted in the cultures and stuff and, and realize what the global effects of James Hemings was. So, uh, yeah, and and that's cool. And that's important too. And then also, um, just talk about did you try to learn about like um, his his mother, um, Elizabeth? I think Betty. Did you try to um, uncover yeah. who her grandmother was? Because was what was interesting in the documentary is like in the Port of Virginia, it was like forty percent of um, Africans of Nigerian were yeah. imported. You know, to Virginia. So, is there a, a connect to the Heming, uh, the grandmother to Nigeria? And do you know what tribe did she come from? Well, or, or there I, the connect, the connect with her with Betty. I don't know about Betty's mother, but are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, I I lost a picture there. For a moment, um, the with Betty's mother, I didn't do much research because um, Betty was thought to be from um, Senegambia, okay. um, and and Nigeria. She could have been; they could have been from Nigeria also, but she was um, the product of of of. Uh, you know, uh, a person from a woman from either uh, Nigeria or Senegambia, and um, <clears throat> and a and a British sea captain, mm. and um, and that's where I left that story because the pickup the the story started to make all kinds of relevance in connection to the food. So that yeah. all of those groups from Senegambia, from Nigeria, from from West Africa, um, the the Mandinga, the Tukulpal, the Pew, all of them were in Virginia. And the the great thing about that is 
um, there were 500,000 um, basically enslaved Irish, white Irish people also there. Okay? People just right. missed that part. Is that, yep, you know, oh, right. they were enslaved white. Yes. They were able to to get get out of their indentured contract after um, seven or twelve years, but it first came, they were chained to the Africans, and that's why, you know, sixty percent of African Americans blood, because you chain something up next to me, you know what's going to happen. You already know, so that did happen, but nobody talked about that in history. Nobody talks about the Irish that were played too in America. Um, they just kind of gloss over that. But talking about the food, it's a part of the food. Okay, the English, Irish, and Scottish uh, base of American cooking, um, American Southern cooking with uh, New Americans and a pinch of Spanish and a pinch of um, of the European countries, but it was group table, Hampton Court Palace, where they had the big groaning boards that you hear about the, the big feast. Well, that yes. whole idea came to Virginia plantations and the mm. plantation feast is descended from that. So for you, yeah, yo. There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, hinder discussion, nothing means more First wanna offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake, cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. My message to any dad, man, first off, know that, yeah, it, it is a hard job, but it's the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything, I wouldn't change anything about it. Everything you're doing from here on out. If it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.